Rise and shine. It's Celtics Express. England. Here's your host, Jay Corwin. Welcome into Celtics Express. It's the first half recap in London trip extravaganza. I'm your host, Jay Corwin. On today's journey into NBA fandom, we're joined by 98.5, the Sports Hub in Boston, Celtics studio host Sean Silver, an NBA writer for OTGBasketball.com, NBA Math, and Celtics blog Matt Chin. You know, normally we do pride ourselves on being in and out in about 10 or 15 minutes for you. We're not one of those programs you need to plan for days in advance. Today, a little extra time as the Celtics have a lull in the schedule. Plenty to talk about. We'll look back at a rousing first half for Boston, ponder what's ahead for this spring. We'll also, of course, chat about the Celtics and 76ers jumping the pond to invade the big smoke. Also joining us on the ground in London, none other than Jack Manuel and his free spirit NBA spitting globe trotting style to give us a feel for the vibe as fans get set to descend on the O2 Arena in Peninsula Square Thursday. The Celtics, the first team in the NBA to reach the halfway pole of the season schedule-wise. It's all due to that London trip. The Green reached the official halfway point January 3rd against Cleveland faster than any team in the league. After playing 43 games in 82 days, the Celtics with four days off before facing the Sixers Thursday four more days off after the game. In Boston's first 41 games they had four games in which they played with two or more days off leading up to it the Celtics will now have four games coming off two days of rest or more in January alone we rewind a bit following the nightmare beginning of the season when Gordon Hayward went down with that likely season-ending leg injury just five minutes into game one Boston has posted a 33 and 10 record the green hold a two and a half game lead over the Raptors five and a half games better than the Cavaliers in the Eastern Conference there aren't many Many fluke factors to play devil's advocate against the Green. They can claim to have beaten the best teams in both conferences. In the East, they're 1-0 against Toronto, 1-1 against Cleveland. They've also played four games against the top three seeds in the West, Golden State, Houston, and San Antonio, with a 3-1 record against them. 1-0 against both the Warriors and Rockets, 1-1 against the Spurs, albeit sans Kawhi Leonard in both meetings. And all the Celtics, 5-1 in six games against the Western Conference playoff field, 13-7 against any team that would make the NBA playoffs today. Celtics fans and media types can chat for days about what's making the Celtics gel so well after an almost unprecedented roster overhaul last summer, not including guys like Shane Larkin, who came over from Spain last season, or Daniel Tice, who's passed up more money in EuroLeague to take his shot in the NBA. The five rookies that are in the rotation have shown far more progress than expected. They've been able to carve out roles nicely. Duke rookie Jason Tatum has shown uncanny quiet leadership in a super versatile game. Big Al Horford playing at an all-star level. Second-year player Jalen Brown making strides. Kyrie Irving, a legit MVP contender. There's so much to discuss, but the simple answer as to why the Celtics are posting so many W's Defense, coaching, and chemistry. The Celtics allowing the second-fewest points per 100 possessions up until that loss to the Wizards at TD Garden on Christmas Day. Since then, they've improved. Now number one as we speak. After a tough stretch before the holidays, Boston now looks like an offensive powerhouse again after winning six straight games and building a little pad atop the Eastern Conference. Without further ado, it is time to open up the Celtics Express customer service line as we bring in the experts. Teddy, hit me. Got NBA on the brain? Call the sex line. 
Whoa there. That's Celtics Express Customer Service. Give us your take at 617-807-0013 to be heard on the show. The Celtics Express Customer Service Line is your chance to get on the show. If you have something ailing your NBA brain, please call. Leave a message day or night, anytime. We will get you on Celtics Express. Right now, we welcome in Sean Silver, Celtics studio host from 98.5, the Sports Hub in Boston. Sean, thank you so much for joining the show and taking a few minutes. Good morning, Jesse. How you doing? I'm doing well, Sean. Thank you. Glad the temperatures are now up into the tropical 30s, feeling much warmer around the Boston area. Also joining us is Matt Chin, NBA writer. We know him from NBA Math, OTGBasketball.com, as well as Celtics blog. Matt, thanks for coming on. Jesse, Sean, good to be with you. Great to have you both on the Celtics Express first half recap and London trip extravaganza, as it's been dubbed by our producer Teddy Too Hot rolls right off the tongue. We will talk about the London trip, but I want to take a look back at the first half of the season, get you two pros to put your two cents in on it. Sean, what is your major surprise of the first half of the season, other than the fact that the squad didn't totally collapse after that horrific first five minutes of the season? Yeah, the uh, the thirty three and ten record obviously stands out, and the winning streak was big. But for me, it was how the winning streak happened uh, that this team could arrive at a place where they were that good defensively and on the glass all at the same time. I mean, this was a Celtics team that won by outscoring teams in a lot of games last year. Uh, in terms of rebounding, about a third of the games, uh, I'd say, and I did a lot of games last year for the Hub. Uh, they lost the rebounding battle most nights. I, I think somewhere in the 20s um, was the the number of games that they actually won the rebounding battle against the opposition. Uh, This year, yeah, okay, overall they're plus 19 on the glass, but it's kind of the way they're getting it done. Al Horford's averaging his most rebounds since 2014. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are grabbing over five rebounds a game. Rozier, a 6-1 guy, over four rebounds a game. And from the defensive perspective, it's the way the young guys – uh, have stepped in and taken a role, and the older guys have taken accountability, responsibility to lock things down. Even Kyrie Irving, um, he has the lowest defensive rating out of Celtics regulars, but he's a guy who is playing as a part of the system. And they not only did they not nosedive after night one, but they had that kind of bumpy streak where they were playing the 12 games in 19 nights, and uh, this little streak that they've followed it up with has shown that they aren't completely collapsing while the the numbers aren't jumping off the page anymore uh they're still good they can still hang most nights and i think stevens with a little bit of rest and ability to actually coach this team uh can write the ship for the second half yeah just like they taught us in middle school rebounding and defense will keep you in a game now normally sean i'd be concerned that you had basically covered all of our bases but we do have the nba mathematical robot with us matt chin i'm sure he's got more to add to it Matt, from the first half of the season, what really took you by surprise? Yeah, well, I was right there with you, Sean. I think during that that 16-game winning streak, just their ability to adjust on the fly, um, obviously the emotional trauma of having to deal with the Gordon Hayward injury, and then during that winning streak, having a few games without Kyrie Irving, um, with uh, his facial fracture, and then without Al Horford going down with concussion, just their ability to have that next man up mentality. But uh, I'm going to harken on 
their defense overall. Uh, whenever you can have the top-rated half-court defense and the top-rated transition defense, then you know you're doing something right. Uh, they allow league-best 101.9 points per 100 possessions in the half-court, uh, and that excludes garbage-time stats. So that's a full three points higher than Golden State, who's number two. So that's an incredible accomplishment for this team after they were kind of a middle-tier defensive team last season. Um their defense is just light years ahead of where they were last year. And you can see how Stevens' vision uh, of more positionless lineups is really shining through. Uh, to me, the defensive success uh, this year means that everyone has really worked as an orchestra together by communicating and mitigating others' mistakes. So their switchability, their length along the wing, the way that they help each other off of dribble drive, uh, they have the highest uh, shot contest rate in the NBA right now. So it's really hard to nitpick with how their defensive production, their energy, their grit has been. And, you know, they've held offensive juggernaut teams like Houston and Cleveland, Golden State, Minnesota, San Antonio, Toronto, all to under 100 points this season uh, on the TD Garden floor. So that's a really promising uh, prospect for such a young team that we thought going into the season was going to take the first half of the year to sort of find their groove and find uh, where their identity is. They've really hit the ground running in these first uh, 40 or so games. Okay, Matt, from the molecular level, let's break it down. What was the team or player stat from the first half of the season that really stood out for you? So I tweeted this out last night, and I think it kind of gives a bigger picture about Jason Tatum's development. Uh, he's seventh on the team in usage rate but he's tops in offensive rating and third in scoring. So I've just been really impressed with how seamlessly he's been able to fit in. His game is so completely different from what we saw at Duke, what we saw during Summer League with some of that isolation, a little bit of ball stopping, um, those kinds of tendencies. He doesn't really get as many post touches as he used to. Um, so just his way to kind of fit into the motion-based offense, everyone knows about the catch-and-shoot three-pointers, but his role has really grown exponentially over the past six weeks or so, uh, whether it's being that go-to option on the second unit offense or handling the rock and pick-and-roll sets or uh, going into those isolation sets when they need him to, grabbing defensive boards and going coast-to-coast. Um, he was also one of the primary defenders that helped to lock down James Harden a couple weeks ago. So I think behind that stat where he's not demanding a ton of usage, he's not a, a t- uh, demanding a ton of ball dominance, but he's still been able to be productive is something that's really impressed me. So everything that Stevens has challenged him with, he's been able to pass with flying colors. So it's so easy to forget that this kid is 19 years old and he only really has uh, half a season of NBA games under his belt. All right, good stuff, Mr. Chin. Yeah, Tatum's been unbelievable to watch. So, Mr. Silver, which player this season so far that you weren't expecting has really stepped up and, and has been fun to watch for you? Well, preseason I identified a couple of guys who I was hoping would make some sort of a leap, and I'd, I'd hoped for Jalen Brown to do that to show that he was worthy of that number three selection in last year's draft. In a lot of ways, he really has shown that. Um, definitely a guy who's making a jump. And for Terry Rogier, I was expecting to do what he's been doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we saw enough flashes over the last couple of seasons. This is a guy who's in his third year in the league. And, uh, you know, he's just showing that he's comfortable in the role that he is in. They're both going to be key parts of the Celtics if they make a deep playoff run this year. But for me, the guy who's been the real surprise has been Daniel Tice. Danny Ainge has an interesting track record of bringing in international bigs, and it hasn't always worked out. You think back to Vitor Favarani coming in here, 
Fab Mello through the draft. There was the semi Urden era. Uh, even <laughs> way back in 2007, when uh, uh, prior to training camp, we heard that they had signed Esteban Batista from Uruguay to come in and potentially be a backup to Kendrick Perkins. Daniel Tice has just done so many things for this team off the bench at the unheralded free agent acquisition from Germany. Uh, defensively, not being a complete uh, sink offensively and uh, just being aggressive and grabbing rebounds and, and challenging shots in his limited amount of time. I think Tice, for me, has uh, been the guy that's allowed their bench to do a lot of things. And, and yes, there are drop-offs uh, when that starting unit comes off the floor. But Tice has really helped hold things together uh, when their superstars have to rest. Yeah, Tice has been a ton of fun. Uh, Sean Silver, name-dropping like no one else. Uh, we appreciate that. Some some names to bring back some memories for sure. Uh, so, Matt, we know you've been keeping a close eye on Jason Tatum, as has everyone in Celtics Nation and across the league, really garnering a lot of attention. Is there anyone else that has really surprised you this season? Yeah, how about Sam Ojale? I think, in mm. my opinion, he's the player who was hurt the most by the Gordon Hayward injury. Uh, he probably should be getting 30 minutes per night playing for the Red Claws, but instead he's been forced to kind of an end of the Celtics bench role just because of his defensive versatility and length. Um, I'm just thrilled to see how quickly he's carved out uh, a role in such limited minutes. Um, you know, like everyone else on that bench unit, he he's really knows what he does best, um, shooting those corner threes. Uh, according to uh, cleaning the glass tracking stats, he's in the 95th percentile right now shooting corner threes, and that's 40% of his attempts come from there. All right. um, so he's not really biting off too much that he can handle. Uh, he knows really where his best spots are on the floor, and then defensively just showing a ton of energy and grit, his length. He really uh, was... Um, key for the Celtics win against Brooklyn down the stretch. He didn't play the first three quarters, and then Brad Stevens threw him in at the end uh, to kind of throw off Spencer Dinwiddie, and just being able to use him as a weapon in those small stints is something that I've been really impressed with with him. Yeah, I really enjoyed watching uh, Shemi play myself as well, and he's very strong coming off the bench at a minimum, and that's a pretty good number you brought uh, for us from the corner there. So we look forward to more good play from Shemi Ojale as he gets some time in the NBA. He's a strong player to watch, and I love his physicality on defense in the paint. So we all know the guy that makes this vessel run is one Kyrie Irving, of course, obtained over the summer in the massive trade involving Isaiah Thomas. Sean, what kind of grade do you give Kyrie during the first half of the season? Well, I'm very interested to see what Matt might give because he, as you mentioned earlier, he's a guy who looks at the game at a molecular level, and he may be able to find something that could throw off uh, Kyrie's grade from being anything less than an A. i got to give him an A. He's not Superman, but he is close on a lot of nights. Just the, the difficult positions that he succeeds in, it, it really has proven that talent wins out in the NBA. And, I mean, we've known this for years, but you look at the plucky Celtics of the last few years with Isaiah Thomas being the closer – and yes, Isaiah Thomas did some amazing, amazing things, but it was almost more of a reaction to the fact that how is this five foot eight guy doing the things that he's doing and, and succeeding in the situation than, um, you know, just overcoming the odds of a, a simple basketball game. Kyrie Irving, when it comes down to it, is, is a, a pure talent of, it's not, I mean, he may not be the best point guard in the NBA. But he is more than a point guard. He's a superstar, and that's the player that they have right now. And 
His defensive rating uh, is the lowest out of Celtics regulars. I think I mentioned that earlier. But just the fact that he's you know been a part of what's been successful for them, um, to me, really stands out. Because, again, you look at Thomas, and I know it's not a one-to-one comparison in terms of that trade last season, but his uh, defensive stats were not, did not exactly shine off the page. Also, just his, uh, his playmaking, the assist numbers, again, those don't jump off the page in terms of pure volume but his playmaking, his ability to see things, and the number of hockey assists that he really generates out there in getting the offense moving has been impressive to me. So this guy, he wins really in all categories and and checks all the boxes. Yeah, I think Kyrie Irving's season so far, a classic example of not being able to really quantify what a guy has meant to a team. You look at the stats, some nights, you know, 18 points, five assists, a couple steals here and there, but really controlling the pace of play for the Celtics and confidence uh, late in the game as well. So, Professor Chin, it's time for those midterm report cards. What are you giving him? Yeah, I couldn't go much lower uh, than you, Sean. I gave him an A minus. I think the most important thing to note with Kyrie is that he's really only he's only playing 32 minutes per night, um, and that will help to really conserve him for the playoffs. And I respect Brad Stevens for playing such a long bet, a deep bench, and prioritizing longevity um, with Boston having such a jam packed game schedule before this London trip. Um, but I mean, you guys are exactly right. I think you need to look past. Uh, just the statistics and see how much attention Kyrie really garners when he has the ball and being able to create opportunities for his teammates. I think uh, Kyrie and Brad have done a good job of balancing his facilitator, distributor role and kind of the motion-based offense versus, you know, Stevens allowing Irving to do his razzle-dazzle isolation moves that really make Kyrie great, uh, especially during crunch time when, you know, offense kind of goes out the door and, and Boston just needs a bucket. Irving has been spectacular um, in that sense. Um, for the rest of the season, I think in order to get me to like an A or an A+, plus, I would love to see him um, kind of grow and expand his quarterbacking skills. Uh, obviously, Horford is a lot of the distributor, kind of the linchpin and the high post, but Irving is really good at finding bigs off the pick and pop, off the pick and roll, so he's been great in the two-man game. What I would love to see, and this is kind of a, a high demand um, you know, for people who have a lot of on-ball responsibilities, but um, if he can start to make those kind of drive and dish cross-court laser passes to the corner wing three position, that's what's going to make him a truly flawless offensive player. I think those kinds of special passes where you can see over the defense and pass um, over the help and you can identify where the help is coming from. Like that's what really separates them from a pure distributor like Russell Westbrook or James Harden or Ben Simmons. So if Kyrie Irving is able to do that, um, I think he'll really become a legitimate MVP candidate before long. We talked about their front-loaded schedule for the Celtics, so a nice little break here out of this London trip. They should hit the ground running. So, Sean, what is your outlook for the rest of the regular season and including in that the possible change in roster makeup? Yeah, well, they've played the most games of uh, any team in the league. Um, their strength of schedule hasn't been particularly brutal. It's 16th in the league. I think the teams that they've played in opposition have been under 500. Uh thus far, but anytime you go through a meat grinder of a schedule like they've had in terms of quantity, uh, coming out of it the way that they are, uh, got to be impressed. They're two and a half up on Toronto right now in the East. Toronto obviously bullied by a number of things this year, but DeMar DeRozan's able to shoot threes. Uh, 
that could be a concern, uh, and and Toronto might be a team that hangs around. I certainly expect them to hang around toward the top of the league. Cleveland right now, five and a half back. But uh, if you, I think if you give the opportunity for the Celtics to get some rest here, Brad Stevens to have some teaching moments with this roster, particularly with some of the young guys, and uh, then you look ahead to the deadline, the Celtics in the position they're in, there's really no reason that they shouldn't be among the top three teams in the East. And, uh, you know, to not be conservative on a prediction here, I mean, they sh- should get the number one seed with the way that they've carved things out. There you go, Sean. Um, <laughs> from the uh, from the perspective of the trading deadline, you know, Danny Ainge doesn't often go out and get the big fish. I think there's some guys out there that I would salivate over. I've always loved Greg Monroe's game. There's a candidate for a buyout right there. He's playing about one out of every four nights for Phoenix. Just what he could do from a passing perspective and a rebounding perspective. Him and Horford on the floor at the same time. I mean, he's basically a a version of Al Horford who doesn't play defense quite as well. Um, So he would be one of those big fish along with Tyreek Evans, who's having his best scoring year since he was a rookie. Derek Favors, who can do a lot of things for you. But I think Danny might go for a player more. Well, I think what they need is um, a wing who can come in and shoot threes. I mean, Gordon Hayward was going to be much more than that. But uh, you think about the way that the guys have stepped up on this current roster. They don't have a lot of swing men. And if you have some injuries, I guess, at the two or the three position, kind of makes you think that they're going to have some uh, some difficulty picking up the slack if, say, a Jalen Brown or a Jason Tatum needs to miss time. So Marco Bellinelli, I guess, would be a, a, a great candidate out of Atlanta. There's a team that definitely needs to tank. What's he doing on that roster? He's hitting two threes a game, uh, playing over 20 minutes. He hasn't slowed down at age 31. That'd definitely be a guy to target. Or even his teammate there, Ursan Ilyasova, gives you another stretch for can rebound a little bit. Um, those are both candidates, I guess, that wouldn't cost you a whole lot. So players of that ilk, maybe a reunion with Joe Johnson, but I don't expect Danny Ainge to really swing for the fences with a move. I think he likes the pieces that he has. This isn't a year where they were necessarily anticipated to be going to the finals, particularly with the Hayward injury. So I think growth uh, overall will be promoted. Yeah, Sean, I tend to agree we won't see Celtics brass pull the trigger on a major move come early February, but we will likely see some upgrades due to that extra cash. Matt, your thoughts on the rest of the season and where the Celtics will end up heading into the playoffs? Yeah, big picture for me, I think uh, the key is really finishing the regular season ahead of Toronto so you can avoid Cleveland in the second round. Uh, right now, I think those three teams are really in a tier by themselves, so jostling for top playoff position will give the Celtics a distinct advantage for getting an easier path to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, something that I'm really looking toward the second half of the year is how Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown play. Now that they're seeing teams for a second, third, fourth time around, mm. um, how do they adjust now that there's more game film available on them? I think uh, you'll see different defensive schemes. You'll see more traps being thrown their way because you know I think beginning of the season you didn't know that they were going to be such prolific focal points of the offense so how do young guys like that really adjust to seeing uh different defensive looks um and then related to kind of some transactional rumors or uh, their plans i think if they can survive uh, without making a move until mid-february um without taking on any more cap space they're going to have the top priority on the buyout market that eight million dollar designated player exception from 
the Gordon Hayward injury is really, really uh, a valuable piece. Um, and I'm right there with you, Sean. I think Greg Monroe, Ersan Ilyasova, uh, Marco Bellinelli are all guys that can fit seamlessly into pretty much any sort of offense. Um, I always get concerned with taking on someone who is not really able to uh, fit in so seamlessly. So I think those guys are all great targets because of Ilyasova and Bellinelli shooting. And then Monroe has become a much better passer out of the low post. And uh, he's someone who can get you a bucket off the bench. Um, and I've heard and read that the, that the Celtics are really targeting players who they think they can feasibly re-sign for next season. Uh, so if they can privately go to those players camps and bring that eight million dollar dpe and bridge that player to a bigger contract whether it's someone um that danny Ainge can retain bird rights on via trade or something like that then that gives them an even bigger advantage um i think the bench offense the second unit offense is something that we need to continue to examine as well um how does marcus morris's knee hold up the rest of the season i think he is someone that they really depend upon to generate offense for that second unit he's really the only person who can create their own shot, who has that kind of killer instinct offensively. I mean, you see it a little bit with Smart, a little bit with Rozier here and there, but you you need that guy who can um, really carry the offense for four or five-minute spurts when Horford and Irving are on the bench. So I'm taking a a close look at what Morris is going to be able to do in the second half of the season as well. Okay, Sean, so once the season ends, where will the Celtics be? Well, we talked, uh, I think, last Thursday morning following Celtics beating Cleveland uh, at the Garden. And, uh, I don't know, there was a snowstorm. I was all giddy and and really (laughs) questioning Cleveland's ability to stay atop the Eastern Conference and and represent in the finals again. Um, When I look at it, when I look at how Isaiah Thomas has done his couple of games back, I think that Cleveland still just has too much talent uh, for the Celtics to maybe be able to break through the East this year. And it's really about tempering expectations. Thinking back to where where I was sitting on my couch when Gordon Hayward went down and what I was thinking about this team. Of course, what they've done has really uh, exceeded any of the expectations that I might have built in that moment. Uh, this is really a, a time for... I don't know, Celtics fans to kind of celebrate something, almost akin to what Bruins fans are doing in this city because we got a real youth movement on with the winter sports teams, uh, certainly aside from the Patriots with their 40-year-old quarterback. <laughs> but uh, it's it's something that is exciting. It's it's fresh. And uh, even, even compared to last year where we have, I guess, a different youth movement going on from one year to the next, I think they'll beat the Cavs in the conference finals. They'll probably fall. It'll be more competitive than it was last season. It might even go seven. And that brings the question, well, what if they have a higher seed than Cleveland and they wind up hosting in the Eastern Conference Finals. Well, can Cleveland beat them in the Garden? We've seen LeBron James come in here with a different unit in Miami in 2012 and and, uh, take them out to the woodshed. Uh, This is certainly a different team from that Miami juggernaut, but there's just a lot of talent there, and if they can find any way to play together down the stretch, I do feel like the Celtics will come up short. As far as this London trip, um, remember back in 07 when the Celts you know, dressed up in suits and sunglasses and went to London, yeah. went to Italy, hung out together, bonded? Seems like uh, yesterday. Oh, yeah. I remember. Ten, yeah, 10 years later, it's kind of like, okay, this is a nice opportunity. And uh, maybe some memes will come out of that like they did 10 years ago with, with the uh, Celtics all banded together, you know, looking looking sharp and, 
and things like that. I don't even know if memes were a thing back in 07. But at any rate, uh, this this is a nice opportunity for the team. It, it provides uh, not only some camaraderie, but also some opportunity to get some practices in. And as far as the Sixers, I mean, the Celtics have won 13 out of 14 against this team. A lot of the games have been close. Um, but Philadelphia, nah, they, they lost 9 of 10 recently and have, and have bounced back, uh, I think, to win four straight coming into this one. So they're they're certainly not folding in the Eastern Conference, but they're they're figuring their sea legs out, and uh, I'd like to think that the Celtics should be able to take this game from them once again. Well, in regard to uh, that trip ten years ago, I'm not sure Kevin Garnett's actually allowed out of the U.S. anymore. He's uh, <laughs> he's really gone full tilt in his retirement, and as far as enjoying the season, they do always say. A life is a journey, not a destination, right? So I think your point is well taken there. A lot of times we just look toward the end without actually enjoying what we're seeing in front of us. So, Matt, same question to you as we head towards the playoff. Uh, where do the Celtics look to end? Yeah, I, mean, I still favor Cleveland. I'm not going to fall into the trap that I feel like I fall into every single year where you look at Cleveland where they sleepwalk through large periods of the regular season and you can point out different vulnerabilities um, with their defense uh, and their their secondary scoring, but uh, right now, I mean, LeBron is playing at such an unbelievable level. I think he's really trying to focus in on the MVP. Uh, Kevin Love's having a pretty good offensive season, and IT has looked really fresh and rejuvenated in his first couple games. Cleveland has the ability and the experience to flip a switch when they need to. I think they've proven that. So until um, further notice, I have them in in the NBA Finals. Uh, What Toronto is doing is really interesting to me because Dwayne Casey has them playing a completely different style of offense Mm. from what they did last season. Uh, With DeMar DeRozan uh, dribbling into the paint, getting paint penetration and kicking out, he's taking more threes, playing Kyle Lowry off ball more, That is something that they've really needed in the playoffs. And uh, Toronto has become a night and day team in the playoffs in terms of success. Uh, So if they're able to play with less isolation um, in the postseason, then I think they're going to be able to give the Celtics a decent run for their money. But if they're the old Raptors, um, that really tends to fall off in the uh, after the regular season ends, then I think Boston has a distinct advantage for them. And then offensively for the Celtics, I mean, I really do trust their defense, but offensively they need another reliable 20-point-per-game score. Uh, whether it's Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum in the playoffs, in a seven-game format, offense tends to go out the door at, at some point. Uh, you know, Opposing teams, they learn your offensive sets, they learn all of your play calls, and at some point, you just need people to be able to get a bucket. So, um, I think they're right there. Um, at least, if they don't make the Eastern Conference Finals, that will be a pretty big disappointment, uh, in my opinion. But right now, I have them losing um, in the Eastern Conference Finals, just because I don't think they have the offensive firepower to hang with Cleveland. I mean, you would have that if you had the all-star version of Gordon Hayward. He's been able to prove that he could do those things, but it took him five or six years to really grow and get there. And Tatum and Brown are just so young that it's it's hard to truly predict. So right now I'm going to err on the safe side and not put them in the NBA Finals, but you know maybe I'll have a different uh, opinion in a couple months. Uh, and then with the London game with the Sixers, I think the Celtics should be able to handle it. The thing about Philadelphia is they're such an exciting young roster, but they do lack a prolific scorer who can really go get a bucket. I think Embiid just gets so many touches 
out near the three-point line that it really confuses me why they don't use him more on the low post mm. because he's not like I mean he can pump fake and dribble drive a little bit and then the issue with Ben Simmons is that he doesn't have a shot outside of five feet and he really doesn't even attempt jumpers from out there so if the Celtics can do a good job of bottling the limited offensive skills that Philadelphia has then I think uh, they'll be able to succeed over there in London and I, I really hope that they take advantage of uh, these uh, big days off that they have before and after this game to kind of rehabilitate their bodies. And, you know, now that they've made it out of that really deadly stretch, they should be much more energized in the second half of the season than what we've seen. And that's really encouraging considering where they are right now. Yeah, spot on on the Sixers, I think, Matt. I often wonder the same about Embiid. And, you know, you often hear that coaches don't matter in the NBA, but you wonder if a guy like Brad Stevens had the Sixers roster what that team might look like, because I I do often think they're not utilizing their pieces the best they can. Previously, to your points about the Cavaliers and Celtics possible playoff matchup, I do think this year the home court advantage is just so much more important than it was last season. As far as the Raptors are concerned, uh, to me, DeMar DeRozan, he just doesn't have the killer instinct in the playoffs. He has to show it to me until further notice. They are the Cincinnati Bengals for me. I like that. Every year, it's the same thing. We hear the Raptors, the Raptors, we the North, and then we watch them on TV. We watch the 600,000 people stand outside in the cold, and every year, it's the same thing. One-on-one, DeMar DeRozan comes down to game-winning shots, a turnaround you know, shot from the elbow that banks off the back of the rim. Basically, seems like the Raptors' destiny every year. Okay, so I want to thank you guys for coming on the show. The Silver Fox, it's Sean Silver from 98.5, the Sports Hub. Sean, thanks for taking a few minutes. We appreciate you. Appreciate it. This was a lot of fun, and uh, looking forward to the second half of the season. Yes, sir. And Mr. Matt Chin, Matt Chin NBA on Twitter. You want to follow him. He's got all sorts of great nuggets on the daily. Uh, Matt, thanks for joining us. Let's do it again soon, guys. With that, we put a bow on the first half of the Celtics season, and we now focus on that trip to London. The Seas take a few days to finally catch their breath. Of course, many off-the-court responsibilities for the team as they are part of the Global Games Initiative in London. We've seen the NFL take that step. Of course, soccer, really the main thing that happens over there. Turkey, Italy, Spain, we've seen a big growth in basketball. London, still a step behind, to put it into context for you. London's Copper Box Arena, that's home of the London Lions of the British Basketball League holds about 7,000 fans. So to give us a vibe from Ground Zero, we welcome in from London NBA writer, co-host of the JBT podcast, otgbasketball.com network contributor, an Australian NBA writer now stationed in London. We're lucky to have with us Jack Manuel for a couple minutes. Jack, the Celtics last playing in London in 2007, the 76ers in 2013, a matchup of two of the NBA's premier teams. What is the excitement level like for this one at the O2 Arena on Thursday? Uh, it's pretty high, Jesse. Um, this is probably the most, the biggest game in London in London history, um, which is obviously not saying that much. But two of the best teams, two of the, uh, the stars uh, are plenty: Al Horford, Kyrie Irving, Ben Simmons, my boy, uh, my Aussie boy, my Aussie mate, and then obviously Joel Embiid as well. Um, there's a video making the rounds uh, on Twitter, the the NBA UK Twitter right now of of Joel Embiid having some uh, afternoon high tea, which is uh, quite funny. Um, the anticipation, the hype uh, is as high as it's ever been. Um, last year was, uh, obviously last year as well for the, the Pacers and Nuggets game, um, and, and it was a bit more subdued. Um, so I think just having two so popular, so uh, up-and-coming teams with such big stars is really added to the cachet of it all. 
Yeah, Jack, to your point, aside from being held in the U.K., a real international flair in this one, of course, Ben Simmons from Australia, your guy there, Dario Saric for the 76ers. He's from Croatia, Joel Embiid. He's from Cameroon for the Celtics. You have Al Horford from the Dominican Republic, of course, others as well. The Sixers, Markel Fultz working his way back from injury. He won't play. What is the biggest draw for fans in London to this game? Yeah, I think it's I think it's just to see a really entertaining affair. There's such a huge uh, melting pot of, of of populations over here, like in the NBA. Um, like there's plenty of Australians like myself, plenty of even Americans. Like I know on the weekends, I, I play plenty of pick up basketball with plenty of your brethren. So I think they're just looking for a really entertaining game, and I think you're going to get it. With, and there's going to be highlights of plenty when you've got guys like Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and Kyrie Irving. Might add as well, Kyrie Irving born in the same uh, city as I was back in Melbourne. Um, bit shattered that he didn't join the the Australian Olympic team, but um, he's off to bigger and bigger things. So the the level of knowledge has, has grown as well. Like it was almost sort of like a fad back in the day over here, Jesse. Similar to Australia, but um, Australia is probably still you know uh, ahead of them in terms of their knowledge and their fandom. But it's certainly growing, and I think the European influence is certainly having a say on that as well. Yeah, well said, Jack. The Australian roots across the NBA certainly run deep. Don't forget about the Celtics, Aaron Baines. There will be a variety of interactive fan activities for this one. The NBA Cares Community Outreach Program will be there as well as junior NBA basketball. Are fans going to this game, Jack, looking for an all-star vibe or a regular gritty Thursday night X's and O's NBA affair? It's hard to put a pinpoint on it for for every person, but I know myself um, being a hardcore NBA fan over here in London, I just want a good game of basketball. And these two teams uh, both have high level of talent. Um, Boston coming off uh, finally getting a little bit of a rest, Philly as well. But I think a close game, a, a tight affair, is anyone is what anyone really wants when it comes to watching. I'm sure, there's going to be plenty of celebrities last year. Gordon Ramsay made an appearance, so hopefully he can um, make some swearing from the sidelines, uh, add some profanities in just to, to add some spice to it all. But yeah, like like anyone, Jesse, I think it's just a, a close game and hopefully a, a tight tussle. I think you might be on to something there with Chef Ramsay berating players from the sideline. That could add some interesting intrigue for sure. As for the schedule arriving, the Celtics heading out early on Monday morning. The 76ers, they practice Monday morning before they headed out. Walkthroughs and practices both Tuesday and Wednesday for both teams ahead of Thursday's game. What do you think the schedule is like this week and what are head coaches focusing on before the matchup? I think the head coaches are probably enjoying the city a little bit, Jesse. I think when you've got that time off, it's uh, as much a, a chance to expose people to the game. Now, um, the NFL in London has, has certainly grown quite a bit and probably has a little bit of an edge in that sense. Um, I know the Super Bowl is quite a big event over here. Um, but I think as well, the fact that the timing, uh, being a fan myself, we're trying to watch as many games as possible, due to the time difference, there's generally only two or three games a week you can watch. So the fact that we can actually beat not only watch a game, but be at a game live is huge. And I think the coaches will basically just be saying, just enjoy the city, enjoy it for what it is. There's plenty of um, plenty of clubs around, and I'm hoping I can... Uh, I'm, I'm in a bit of a hub in the centre of London myself. So hopefully, you know, Ben Simmons can come to one of the local cinemas or check out the... Uh, you know, platform nine and three quarters. I'm sure there'll be plenty of photo opportunities. Um, 
I'll be trying to make my way to some of those fan events that you were mentioning as well. And hopefully uh, I-, I might give a Celtics Express a tag as well as ODG Basketball just because uh, it- it's very exciting stuff. And to have, I think it's just the teams itself that just makes it so exciting as well. Boots on the ground from London. That's NBA writer Jack Manuel, co-host of the JBT podcast. You can find him on otgbasketball.com as well. Jack, we appreciate a few minutes of your time. Enjoy the game. Thank you, Jesse. As Jack said, it's a hot ticket, at least a couple hundred bucks to get in the building there at the O2 Arena. Tip-off Thursday afternoon, East Coast time, 3 o'clock on NBA TV. That's an 8 o'clock London tip. It's now time for the Celtics Express Laker Watch. The Seas will, of course, own LA's first pick in the 2018 draft. If it lands in that 2-5 to five position, the Lakers, with a promising start to the season, they've hit dire straights, losing nine in a row before finally snapping that streak with a win over the Hawks on Sunday. Add to that the LeVar Ball coach Walton drama and Kyle Kuzma saying his teammates quit last week. Boston hopeful they'll get another high draft selection this spring. The 12-27 and 27 Lakers play the Kings Wednesday night at Staples Center before heading to San Antonio to battle the Spurs on Sunday. The Celtics, they're set to return to the States Friday with practice in Waltham on Saturday. They'll take Sunday off and two days of prep before playing the Pelicans Tuesday, January 16th. So with that, we wrap a special London episode of Celtics Express. Thanks for joining us. We thank our producer, Teddy Tuhat, our guest, Sean Silver, Matt Chin, and Jack Manuel. Our legions of fans, and of course, Dr. James Naismith. Find us on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, the OTG Basketball Network, and on Twitter at Celtics Express. Until next time, I'm your host, Jay Corwin. We'll see you at the Garden.